Thank you for joining us for this message. Whether you're watching for the first time or simply catching up on a message you've missed, we are so glad that you're connecting with God's Word today. Our hope is that as you listen to the message, you will experience a real encounter with God. Please consider giving financially to support God's work through our ministry. You will find several options to do that by clicking on the word give in the menu on our website at kentwoodcommunitychurch.com. Well, I'm indeed delighted to be here at Kentwood Community Church. You probably already know this. You have a reputation all over the nation, over the world. And so um, even back when we planted Sanctuary Covenant Church in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, there was talk around the country of churches that were missional, churches that planted churches, churches that um, believed that the church should flourish and thrive, and this church would come up in conversations like that very often. So it's an honor for me, whether you're on site or online, uh, to be able to preach here and grateful for Pastor Mick and our friendship for, for years. Um, my wife, Denisha, is with me, so I'm glad that she was able to join me as well today. There is a word found in the book of Acts, chapter 10. The book of Acts, chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. I want to read a, a number of verses from this chapter. Acts 10, verse 1 says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. From all that text, I want to speak to you on the title, When the Church Becomes a Bridge. When the Church Becomes a Bridge. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking and I would just be the vessel 
the vehicle you have decided to use to say what you want to say. To these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers, God, I desire to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done. In Jesus' name, amen. When the church becomes a bridge, though Danisha and I live in Sacramento, California now, we're both originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, I still can remember August 1st, 2007. On August 1st, 2007, in the afternoon, this was the day that a portion of the Interstate 35 West Bridge that connects the Twin Cities of St. Paul and Minneapolis, Minnesota, collapsed. On this tragic day, this eight-lane, 1,907-foot-long Interstate 35W Highway Bridge over the Mississippi River collapsed. 1,000 feet of the deck trust collapsed with about 456 feet of the main span falling 108 feet into the 15-foot river. 111 vehicles were on that collapsed portion of the bridge. 13 people died that day. 145 people were injured when the bridge collapsed. There was a school bus that happened to be on that collapsed portion of the bridge carrying elementary school children, bringing them home from school that day. Something strange happened when this portion of the bridge collapsed where the school bus was. Though that school bus and all the children and the bus drivers should have met a tragic fate, somehow the way that the bus went down, it landed on this bank by the Mississippi River. And though there was scrapes and cuts and, and, and some deep bruises, uh, it seemed like all the kids were okay. And, and somebody that just happened, his name is Nate, he just happened to attend the church that I was pastoring at the time. He was at a construction site nearby. He ran towards the debris, the pain, the collapse. He ran towards the smoke and he helped kids get off that bus that day. There was something in that picture about someone who loves the Lord, someone deeply connected to Christ who saw the collapse of the bridge and ran to the pain, went to the debris, went to the cries and the screams. Ah, when I think about the collapse of that bridge on August 1st, 2007. It also leads me to think and reflect about another bridge collapse. Though in no way do I want to use this metaphor to make light of the collapse of the bridge in 2007, I am sure there are families and friends that are still missing loved ones. There are those that survived that bridge collapse that I'm sure are still having painful memories of being in a vehicle on that bridge, wondering how it is they made it. And at the same time, I know that there is another collapse. This collapse is much larger. 
It's the collapse that took place when sin entered the world and the bridge between heaven and here collapsed. The intimate connection that was supposed to exist between humanity and God, between the earthly realm and the heavenly realms, there was supposed to be a deep connection between the heavenly realms and the earthly realm. There was supposed to be a deep intimate connection between humanity made in the image of God and God, the creator of the universe, and sin collapsed that bridge. But what if Jesus was sent here to restore and rebuild the bridge? And what if the church, until such time as Jesus returns, is to symbolize, is to be a picture of, is to be an embassy, an outpost of a bridge that reconciles people to God through Jesus Christ and reconciles them to one another, no matter their color, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their native tongue, no matter their nationality? Could it be that the church is to be a bridge in a broken, collapsed world? I wonder if that's the insight we are to receive from Acts chapter 10, that, that, that this is a bridge vision because there are chasms, there are gaps that still exist in this world. There, there are, uh, are gaps. Um, when, when I was still pastoring in Minneapolis, there was a group of politicians and business leaders, uh, clergy, uh, uh, nonprofit leaders that came together and through uh, a partnership with the Brookings Institute, they studied disparities gaps that existed in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. What they found is that based on race, class, place, uh, whether you were a first or second generation immigrant or you had been here for, for three or four generations or more, what, what, they, what they realized is that there were gaps that existed when it came to home ownership, when it came to economic net worth, when it came to education, when it came to employment, when it came to incarceration, there were gaps that exist, existed and, and this group of Leaders came together to study the gaps and figure out how to close them. Their first report was called Mind the Gap. It was a report that just looked at the gaps that existed. Their second report was called Close the Gap a commitment to look at all the disparities, all the chasms that existed, and to build bridges between them, to address them. Could that be the mission of? the church. Let us go back to Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Here's the first point. God builds bridges. 
God builds bridges. Yes, we should see Christ as a bridge. Christ is a bridge between heaven and here. God is a bridge between almighty God and sinful humanity. When Jesus came to earth, we should see Jesus as a bridge. Those that surrendered to Jesus, those that believed in Jesus, when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, it's like the cross tipped sideways and it became a bridge between eternity and our existence right now. We are saved because Jesus Christ is a bridge. So God builds bridges. That's good news. God won't allow us to stay lost. God is desirous to have intimate relationship with you and I. God doesn't want to merely be a distant God somewhere out there, somewhere invisible, away from us, looking down on our sins. God wants intimate relationship with you. God wants an up-close encounter with you. God wants intimacy with you so that God can shape and mold your manhood, your womanhood, your singleness, your marriage, your teenage years, your adult years, your seasoned years. You are not to live in isolation. You are, live, you are to live in intimacy with God. God has built a bridge towards you. God builds bridges. But God also expands bridges. And, and I think that the reason that God expands bridges is not only so that we can have intimate relationship with God, but so that we can have righteous relationship with one another. So God expands bridges. God gives us the opportunity to live in the expansion of his bridge. Uh, you know, uh, when we first moved to California 11 years ago, we lived in the Bay Area. And so uh, there were times when we would uh, go from the outer East Bay where we lived uh, to San Francisco. And uh, when you're going to San Francisco, there are a lot of bridges that you have to cross. And uh, sometimes when you're on the bridge, uh, you can get into bad traffic, especially if you're driving solo. If you're by yourself in the car, you can can just get backed up. And something that, uh, you know, it should only take you 20 minutes to get there. It could take you an hour to get there or more because the traffic is so bad. Ah, but they have something on the expansion of a bridge called the carpool lane. And if you have other people in the vehicle with you, you can get in the carpool lane. Now, you can't put a mannequin in the car. You can't put your dog in the front seat. It actually has to be other real human beings. So if you are are on the bridge, but you're moving way slow, if you have other people in the vehicle with you, you can get into the carpool lane and get there faster than the people riding solo. What I'm trying to say, Christians, it's not enough just to be on the bridge, it's who you with on the bridge. And if you are willing to get into the carpool lane of God and ride out your Christian life with other Christians of other backgrounds and ethnicities, people that didn't grow up where you grew up, people that don't have the same slang as you, people that don't have the same pigmentation, you can get into the carpool lane and we can get quicker to reconciliation, quicker to righteousness, quicker to biblical justice, quicker to generosity, quicker to compassion, quicker to mission. If we're willing to ride with other brothers and sisters and not go solo in our Christian life. 
You know, I was supposed to save all that excitement towards the end, but I'm feeling it in point one. God builds bridges. God expands bridges. God rebuilds bridges. Maybe you need the reconciliation power of God to rebuild a bridge that's collapsed. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's on your job and it just takes you saying I'm sorry, saying it's all right. I will make peace here. I will be the one. I, I may not ever be able to forget what happened, but I can forgive. I can, I can move forward in peace because I'm tired of my heart being terrorized by a collapsed bridge. You know, you know, when there's something collapsed on the inside of ourselves, you know, if you have a collapsed lung, it's hard to move forward. So maybe there's something in the spirit, something in the soul that is collapsed because of a relationship on the outside, and it's time to make peace. It's time to forgive. It's time to seek the love of God to come upon that collapsed situation because God builds bridges. God expands bridges. God rebuilds bridges. Next, God raises up bridge people. That's what we are reading about here between Cornelius and Peter. Uh, we, we have to understand the depths of this socially at the time. Uh, uh, Cornelius is, is a Gentile. Cornelius is God-fearing, but he represents the government, he represents the authority, he represents the system that marginalizes people like Peter. So uh, what, what we have here is, is two people living in different types of privilege. We have Cornelius who has social privilege because he, he's, he has political authority. Uh, he, 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 uh, he, he, he has resources and wealth. Uh, so, I mean, he has servants. I mean, when, when, when you're talking about somebody's household and you're talking about attendance and you're talking about servants, in this time, you're talking about somebody who has power and wealth. He has social privilege. But Peter is walking in spiritual privilege. He walked with Jesus. Even though he denied Jesus when Jesus was arrested, he was redeemed back to Jesus through his connection with the resurrected Jesus. He was there when the Holy Spirit first came down in a massive public way in Acts chapter 2. It came upon him. He preached a sermon and 3,000 people said yes to Jesus and they started planning planting churches, building Christian community. He has privilege. But yet these two people are divided against each other socially. They are not to be in one another's company. They despise each other. They are enemies in the social structure. This shows us, sisters and brothers, that sin is not just in the soul of human beings. Sin can get in the structures and systems and ideologies and institutions that sinful individuals collectively build. And so the sin in the hearts of human beings and the sin in systems and structures is what causes collapses and it's why you can have somebody like Cornelius and his people group and somebody like Peter and his people group not in righteous relationship with one another even though they both believe in God. It is possible for people to believe in God and be divided against each other. 
It's possible for people to give their offerings and be divided against each other. It's possible for people to raise their hand and sing songs, and that's why an angel had to show up at Cornelius' house and say, your offerings is not enough. Your, 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 your good works to the poor is not enough. Your prayers to God is not enough. I need you and Peter to get together. I need a bridge built where there is a chasm. Ah, because God raises up bridge people. That's where we find Peter. It says here in verse 9, we read the story here. I've already read it. Uh, Peter uh, is hang, he's, he's hiding out. He's not just hanging out. He's hiding out. That's why he's at an unclean place. Because at any time... For what he's doing, he could be arrested, he could be beaten, he could be killed, um, and, and, and you'll, you'll see, I mean, in his life, I mean, he's, he's arrested, he's beaten, I mean, he's persecuted for the work of, of, of discipleship, of expanding the church, and, and so he's hiding out and he gets hungry, and, and I guess it's taken a while, and there's no snicker bars, so he goes up on the roof to take a nap, hoping that when he wakes up, the food will be ready. And in his nap, he gets a vision from God. And, and there, uh, God says, you hungry? Here we go. Here's a gecko po' boy. Here's a lizard submarine sandwich. Here's a snake salad. It's all here for you. Eat, Peter. Peter's like, I can't eat any of that. It's unclean. God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. God is setting him up. God is changing his taste buds. God is changing his mindset so that he can be a bridge. This is, this is what God is doing. You know, it reminds me, my dad is from a, a, a small uh, parish, a small town outside of a city called Monroe, Louisiana. And so, amen, 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 Louisiana, all right. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, my parents would drive, uh, me and my younger brother Tremaine and my mom and dad, we would drive from Minneapolis all the way down to Monroe, outside Monroe, uh, to Bosco Parish. And, um, and my grandparents lived at the end of a dirt road on a cotton field there. Uh, and so uh, my parents would stay for a few weeks and then they would drive back up to, to Minneapolis and my younger brother and I would stay with my grandparents and family members for the summer. And so uh, uh, I, I had some cousins that lived down the road and so uh, I had an older cousin, uh, her name was O'Rail. And so Cousin O'Rail, she could barbecue. Oh, my gosh. Man, could she cook. And so uh, one day we walked down the road a little bit to Cousin O'Rail's house. And so, man, there was all this meat on the grill. And I don't know. I, I was still young at the time. And it smelled so good. And my Cousin O'Rail would say, now, stay away from the grill right now. That's hot. And it wasn't really a grill like we know. It was like a big barrel with like a grate on it with like meat on it and stuff. So, but it smelled so good that I kind of went up and I took a piece of the meat off, because it was falling off anyway. And so I, I caught it, and I put it in my mouth, and it was so good. And my cousin O'Reilly came, she said, didn't I tell you not to get too close to that grill? She said, but is it good? I said, cousin O'Reilly, this is the best chicken I have ever had in my life. She said, boy, that's not chicken, that's armadillo. but I was already eating it. And I already said it was good, even though it was not something I would venture into on my own. Because last time I checked, 
You cannot get armadillo at Safeway, at Piggly Wiggly, at Cub, at Rainbow. You, you kidding? You, you, no. You, you can't go into the Walmart or Target grocery and find armadillo. There's only two ways you can get armadillo. You can hit it or you can hunt it. That's it. But I had already tasted it and said it was good. The things that I would normally stay away from, that as I got to know more family members, I was willing to venture into. What is it that God wants to do with the taste buds of your soul, of your mindset, of your emotions? See, if you're willing to get in the company of family members that have been, been far away, but you're willing to get up close to them, it could change you. See, we're in a time, sisters and brothers, where we have two choices. Uh, the, the Reverend Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil breaks this down in her book, Roadmap to Reconciliation. She says, in, in these catalytic times that we find ourselves in, in, in these turbulent times that we find ourselves in, there, there's basically two choices for Christians. One is preservation. We can just decide that everything we believe right now, we're going to preserve no matter what. And let me say, there are some convictions. I mean, there are things in the word of God we should preserve. We should stay rooted in. But she said, I'm not talking about the word of God. I'm talking about ideologies. I'm talking about stories and myths and things that you have seep into your mind and heart when you're not in the word of God. Uh, when you're not in the company of, of, of a multi-ethnic understanding expression of believers, those things that are in our mind that, that no matter what, we're just gonna preserve. She said, this is either a time for preservation or for Christians a time for transformation. When there's racial unrest, when there's a pandemic, when there are wars, when there are storms, when there are wildfires, when there are earthquakes, when there's still deep poverty and brokenness in the world, there's either, there's an opportunity just to preserve where you are or a time to be transformed by God, to be transformed in such a way that we are greater vehicles of God's love, God's grace, God's truth, God's power in this world. God raises up bridge people. Will you let God raise you up? And finally, God provides bridges of reconciliation. You can read the story on your own. Peter makes his way to Cornelius' house. And at first, Cornelius wants to bow before him. And Peter lets him know, I'm just a man like you. And it's interesting because Cornelius socially is the one with the power. And yet, he's bowing down to Peter. And Peter says, no. In this encounter, neither one of us will hold privilege over the other. In this encounter, no one will be subordinate. In this encounter, no one will be lesser than or greater than because the Holy Spirit is about to do something. God provides bridges of reconciliation. If you allow God, God will provide a bridge of reconciliation for you in your own neighborhood, at your school, on your job, in your family, through, through social media, online, God can build. We, we have enough 
online. We have enough of bridges being burned. We have enough of bridges being destroyed. We have enough demonizing, dehumanizing, division. God wants to build a bridge. So, so as, I, as I close, let me give you a picture of this bridge. Uh, years ago, uh, a pastor, she shared a vision of the church that I just can't escape. I can't escape this, this, this vision that she gave of the church. She said, what if the church was a bridge? She said, and what if, if, if the church was this bridge and there were people on either side of the bridge and they were coming onto the bridge and they, their heads were down. Their clothes and garments were dirty and heavy. Their heads were down, but the people on the bridge took off their dirty, heavy garments and put on clean, lighter garments, and they went back to where they came from, and their heads were up, and they were clean and bright and passionate and excited. She said, what if that is the work of the church? What if the church is to be a bridge and people come from the right and the left? Well, for the church to be a bridge and to address the needs and the brokenness of the right and the left, it means that the church can't be enslaved by the right or the left. It means that the church can't be held captive to the right or the left. Ah, that's the church. The church is to be a bridge. The church is to be salvation for the Republican, salvation for the Democrat, salvation for the Libertarian, salvation for the Independent, salvation for the Socialist. We are not to be held captive by politics, we are to be a redeeming force within the political realm. Ultimately, we are not citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. We are from another realm down here to be a bridge over troubled waters. What if the church was a bridge over poverty, a bridge over racism, a bridge over human trafficking, a bridge over disease, a bridge over violence, a a bridge over storms, a bridge over unrest, a bridge over injustice, a bridge over addiction, a bridge over prostitution, a bridge over despair. What if the church was like a bridge over troubled waters? <laughs>